I'm going to do a quick preview. It's going to take several minutes here to kind of re- review and then preview where we're going in our text today. Uh, I, I want to say, uh, if you have young kids with you in the room, um, the text we are in is is sexually explicit. And last week, Rob told you that, that it was coming so you could prepare as parents. Um, we sent an email on Friday, but you know what? You may not have, be on the email list. You may miss it. You may be a guest sitting here in the room today and you're going, oh, I didn't see that coming and it's not your fault. So as I'm kind of talking here over the next few minutes, if you feel you need to leave, step out with your kids. That's great. Online, if you feel you need to have your kids doing something different during the message, I want to give you the opportunity um, to do that. It's okay to leave the room, you know, if, if you feel that here in a few moments. Please know that. It's absolutely appropriate. Um, we are in this section of the Sermon on the Mount that, that I introduced two weeks ago in chapter five, verses 17 through 20. Um, and it, it, that message was an introduction. Okay, that's where I want to go. Like that introduced a new section of a part of the Sermon on the Mount. And we're in this section now for about seven weeks. And uh, that, that introduction in verse 20 had, had one of the just most fundamental key statements in, in our scripture to understand the Sermon on the Mount and the whole Bible. So chapter five, verse 20, Jesus says this. He says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoa. And we said then, you know, in that day, understand the scribes and Pharisees were the pinnacle of righteousness. Please know this. These were, these were the religious leaders who did everything right, said everything right. If the Bible said it, they did it. If the Bible said don't do it, they didn't do it. I mean, they, they were the picture of perfection. And Jesus looks at them and says, you're not in. You, you guys are out. And so it's, it, the, the, the weight of the whole, this little part of the Sermon on the Mount is, is massive. Uh, Jesus is clear, though they, they may be doing everything right, uh, they're not in the kingdom. And then Jesus goes and gives us six concrete examples that show us what he means. Well, what do you mean our righteousness has to exceed that of who we think is the righteous people, most righteous people in the world? Jesus says, well, let me show you what I mean. And Rob introduced the first example. I am picking up on the second it's not enough to be, it's not enough to do the right behavior. Uh, there is the, the deeper fullness of the heart. Now, what we're doing, and, and I think um, you, you, if you'll recall, is we're using an iceberg as, as the illustration of this. And I think it's, it's appropriate. Uh, it's appropriate in this way. 10% of the iceberg is visible. 90% you can't even see. 10, 10% of the iceberg is behavior. And 90% of the iceberg, you all, this is really important where we're going in the next few weeks. It, oops. Um, what did I touch there? There. Is, this is so important. Is It is intent and motive. And so this is how you look. So, so for example, picture that iceberg as a Pharisee. Well, their behavior's outstanding. Their hearts are filthy. That's the point that's hidden beneath the waterline. Now, the way we talk about it at fellowship is this. 
and, and not just at fellowship, but the Bible says that you and I are our heart. That is the most, that, that is our essence. It's, it's, it's that invisible, you can't see it under the waterline part of us. And the heart in the scripture is our thoughts, emotions, desires, and choices. So there's four parts, so to speak, you could say to the heart, but it's one heart, just like one iceberg. Does that make sense? Now, the way most of us live, most people live, very interesting is in the same way, there's just the tip of the iceberg, 90% below the waterline. Look how the heart, look how we live with our hearts. I would suggest it goes like this. We actually live with our choices above the waterline, but our thoughts, emotions, and desires are buried down here. So, so we can look a certain way because I just, beha- I behave this way, but oh my, there's this stuff under the water, oh my, that is all my heart. My choices being just one small part. Now, our text this morning, Jesus, as he, as he did last week and he's gonna do for the next four, he drains the ocean, blah, 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 blah. the water goes down. And there we're looking at our hearts. And he's gonna talk about an area of life, you all, that we would all rather not talk about, (laughs) that we would prefer keeps hidden (laughs) and in secret. So with that, would you stand as we read the word? Open your Bibles to Matthew 5, verses 20. 7 through 30. I'll look up on the screen with you. We'll read it out loud. Uh, what we do at, here is we, we read it out loud. And then at the end, we, you know, we say, this is the living word of God for us today. And then I'm going to say a very short prayer and we're going to dive into the text. So out loud, here's God's word to you and me this Lord's day. Read with me. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. This is the living word of God for us today. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we invite you by the Holy Spirit in these moments to teach us what does it mean to follow you? Amen. Okay, you can have a seat. Uh, We will track the verses just as they are. It's like Rob taught last week. Jesus does three things in these sections and he he did this last week and Jesus is gonna do it in these verses today. Three things, he's gonna say, what's above the waterline? That's verse 27. He's gonna say, what's below the waterline? That's verse 28. And then he's gonna say, what we must do, that's verses 29 and 30. So that's how we will walk through the text itself. Let's start with what's above the waterline. Well, here's what's above the water. Here's, here's what's up here above, above the waterline. 
you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Um, it's, the, it's just a straight out quote, you all, from Exodus. This is, this is exactly how it's stated in the 10 Commandments, the seventh commandment. Uh, it needed no explanation for the original audience. Um, they understood, you know, God commands don't have sex with anyone other than your spouse. Um, they also knew that if they do that, the penalty is that you're stoned to death. They're still doing, it's still happening when this was written, you know, it'll happen in the gospels. I say that to say this, from best we can, what we can tell, y'all, adultery was not common in Israel among the Jews. <laughs> no one wanted to get stoned to death. So it wasn't common. So I say that to say, you remember Rob said last week on, on these, you know, it's like Jesus started off with murder. Do not murder. And everyone went, whew, got it. Thank God I haven't killed anyone. And then he said, if you're angry with your brother, you've murdered, oh. Well, I, I, I wanna see just the same things happen here. Even when he says, do not commit adultery, I think people are going whew, two for two. Thank goodness. Hadn't slept with anybody's wife or spouse. Mm-mm, right? And then the water's gonna drain out and you know, the, what they thought they hadn't done, they had. So before I go to the water draining out, let's just, I, I, wanna, I wanna stay here. Do not commit adultery. You know, why that command? What, what's at the, at, the, at the root of that? And, and so I want to give you a very brief foundational understanding of two things, marriage, and sex. And I mean, this is really basic. You know, there's so much more to say, but uh, we'll, we'll start here. And I think it's necessary to really understand what, what Jesus is saying and where he goes next. So I wanna start with marriage, a word about marriage. When I do weddings, uh, I make it a point with the couple, you know, beforehand. And by the way, at fellowship, if someone's getting married, they have to do premarital counseling through the marriage ministry, which is phenomenal and they do this, and then I just kind of get to come along and reinforce it, but I will talk to couples and I'll say, you do understand the purpose of marriage, you know, that marriage is not about you, that um, marriage is not a social construct. So you don't look, you don't look to sociology to, to find out about marriage, you look to theology. That's where marriage got started. God created the institution of marriage. And when, when we see him create this institution in Genesis, it's, it's a man and it's a woman who both promise absolute fidelity and faithfulness to one another, sexual and non-sexual. And, and, and here's the reason why, as we unpack Genesis, because marriage is the physical, visible expression of God's covenant faithfulness and steadfast love with his own. Do you see, you know how we do baptisms and we say, you know, baptism is a picture of, it's a, it's a visible picture of being in relationship with Jesus, buried with Christ. Y'all, marriage is a, is, is a, there's a purpose behind marriage. 
And the ultimate purpose of marriage is God's glory. And so when two people get married, and I say this to them, I say, you understand, you're, uh, you know, when you, when you marry and you make this covenant commitment to one another, the reason that God institutes marriage is so that the world will look at you and go, that's what God's love is like. That, that, oh, that's how God loves his own. It's inconceivable that God would violate the covenant just as it's wrong, you know, we sit here, for you or I to violate our marriage covenant. See, that's the, the reason for marriage is God's glory. If God would not be unfaithful to his beloved, well, neither will God's children. Thus, you shall not commit adultery. Secondly, sex. You know, it's a total misunderstanding. It's a total misunderstanding of sex for someone to say God's against sex. And I know non-Christians do, and maybe even Christians grow up and, and they feel like it's a, it's a dirty word or it's wrong or God doesn't, you know, God's the killjoy when it comes to sex. Y'all, that is just so far from the biblical truth. And so I want to remind you when we go to the Bible and we note that, oh my goodness, wait, God created marriage. Listen, in the context of creating marriage, guess what else he created? Sex, <laughs> you know, that's, and so how is it that God would create and bless and give something that he hates? Well, no, he doesn't hate it. It's a gift. It's a good, good gift. Think about, just step back and just think for a moment, you know, and go, wait, how does the Bible begin? Well, it begins with two naked people. And it begins with two naked people in front of God. And God says, have sex. You know, that's what it says. So, so God's not against sex in any way. No, it's, it's a good gift. Now, as, as what happened in the fall, it happened with this good gift. It got distorted in the fall when they rebelled. Think about, you know, this is why, you know, I said this adult content. I want you to think about the act of sex for a moment. Um, you're not going to sin. Okay, wait, wait, I, when I said that, now I'm going, wait, you're going to think about it. I want you to, I don't even know how to get out of that. But look, <laughs> in sex, when you think of sex, I, 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 this, you know, here are the, here are the facts. It's, um, it's not just two people coming together. Why do I say that? Because the sexual act, if you will, can I say that? The, the physical, what, the, the, the workings of sex, that's just the tip of the iceberg. So you got, you got everything underneath the iceberg that happens in sex. Well, what do you, what do you mean everything underneath the iceberg? Your whole heart, you are a, a Made in God's image with a whole heart. It's not just your choices and physical acts. It's your thoughts, emotions, desires, the essence of who you are. So that when you have sex and two people come together, listen, you're not just putting physical parts together. You, you are merging your soul with another human being. That's the biblical picture of sex. Why, only, why, why, why then only do that in the covenant of marriage? Okay, think about this. 
You know, when, when two hearts merge in a sexual act, they don't un, you don't unmerge them. You don't, you don't get back what you've given or what's been taken. You see that? That's, that lasts, even though the physical act doesn't. You know, it, maybe think about it in this way. Splitting an atom is one of those powerful forms of power I think humanity has ever known, right? So listen, when you split an atom in the, in the security and confines of a nuclear reactor, you know what you get? You actually get clean power for thousands of homes where people can turn on the lights and cook their meals and enjoy life. If you split an atom outside of the context of the safety of a nuclear reactor, do you know what you get? You get massive destruction and loss of life and damage to people and the land for generations to come. Sex, God has designed to, to, to be within the confines, and let me use these words, it'll help us, I think. Within the safety and the security of a covenant relationship between two people. So that, so that we're naked with each other. Not just physically naked, but emotionally in, 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 in our whole being, we're naked with another human being and in the, in the security of a covenant relationship where I can be naked with this person and not be afraid of what they think of me or how I perform. See, you see that? That's why you have the covenant of marriage and the safety that that provides and the beauty that provides for those two individuals. They have sex outside of that. Oh my gosh, it's just damaging. And you guys know this for, you have sex outside of that, it's, It's not sex as God intended. And I'm telling you, you open yourself up to shame and guilt because you've given yourself and that person now wants to do that with someone else and someone else. Do you see what I'm saying? And, and, and someone else, that's not God's design for sex. And when I say that, you, got, you and I know God is way for sex within the, security of a faithful marriage relationship. So there's two things about marriage and sex. Marriage is a visible expression of God's covenant, steadfast love. Mar you're mar you're, if you're married, your marriage is not about you. It's about God and sex within that covenant is something that is a gift that you give to one another. See, when it's sex outside of the covenant of marriage, honestly, it's just what you get. You just wanna get that pleasure. You just wanna get that. I'm telling you, that's our fallen nature. Okay, let's lower the water line. <laughs> let's, let's, uh, let's drop the water line here and go below it. Look at verse 28. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart, to think about having sex with someone, to imagine it, and they're not your spouse, is to commit adultery. That's exactly what Jesus says. The waterline is dropped, and now you've gone into your thoughts, emotions, desires, and so in your imaginings of having sex with this person who's not your spouse, you've committed adultery according to the law. 
I want to be clear, Jesus is not talking about admiring a beautiful woman that's not your wife or a woman admiring a man who's handsome that's not your husband. That's not what he says. Pay attention to the text. Looks at a woman with lustful intent. What does lustful intent mean? It means imagining having your sexual desire gratified by that person. You imagine it, you think about it, you picture it. Now, while Jesus begins with adultery, when the waterline drops, you all, you know, when we now go down, do not lust in your heart, when, when the waterline drops and we see, oh my, he has broadened this to include all sexual sin. All, all sex outside of the covenant of marriage is sin. It's a violation of God's holiness. Now, I want you to listen to these words from John Stott because he, he, he addresses this so well. Uh, wonderful, you know, um, gifted scholar. Before I read it, I need to define a word for you because I read it and there's a word in here I'd never heard of and I didn't know. And I want all of us to know it. It's, I, and I always have trouble saying it because the way it's spelled and, and, and you pronounce it's difficult, but it's C-A-S-U-I-S-T-R-Y and it's pronounced casuistry, like, like causal, casuistry. And what it means, it's a word that means looking for loopholes in ethical matters with faulty reasoning. How about that philosophical word? So when you read this from Stott, you will understand. John Stott says this, quote, Jesus's allusion is to all forms of immorality. To argue that the reference is only to a man lusting after a woman and not vice versa, or only to a married man and not an unmarried man, since the offender is said to commit adultery and not fornication, is to be guilty of the very casuistry which Jesus was condemning in the Pharisees. His emphasis is that any and every sexual practice which is immoral indeed is immoral also in look and thought. Now see what that word means. What were the Pharisees doing? They, they were gonna figure out loopholes. And I'm telling you, in our fallenness, we will read this and we'll go, well, he didn't mention blankety blank. Well, I mean, he's just talking about married people. So it's not, see what I'm saying? We'll look for loopholes. Let us not look for loopholes. And, and they fall into the same trap of the Pharisees here. And look, not just at the command, do not commit adultery, but go into the intent and motivation and go under the waterline. And when we do, we recognize he's speaking of all sex outside of the covenant of marriage. Well, he concludes with what we must do. And you wanna talk about some sobering, sobering words. Look in your Bibles, verses 29 and 30. We've looked above the waterline, we've looked below, and Jesus says, now, here's what you do. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. 
Remember last week, Rob said Jesus's application bore this sense of priority and urgency. Look, leave your, leave your gift, go get reconciled. You're going to the court, reconcile before you get to the judge. You know, there's a sense of priority and urgency. Y'all, that's what Jesus is saying here. There's a massive sense of priority and urgency when it comes to dealing with sexual sin. It's nothing to mess with. And I wanna step back for a moment because as, as, as we teach, we try and teach you how to read your Bible too. And, and I, want, I just wanna say to you, you know, sometimes someone may say to you, you know, I just don't, you, know, you Christians take the Bible. Are you, you go to a church that takes the Bible literally? Oh my gosh, you know, and, and, and literally someone may say to you, oh, you take it literally? Well, how about that passage in Matthew that says, tear your eye out, you know? And suddenly you're going, oh my gosh, I don't know, you know? Well, you do know, you do know. And, and you, you didn't have to have me tell you this because if someone says that to you, I want you to say to them, go jump off a bridge. That's what you say. Now, now, are they going to go jump off a bridge? When you say that to them, tell me, I'm being serious now. Are they going to go jump off a bridge? Why are they not going to literally jump off a bridge? Why? It's not a tricky question. Because they know that you are speaking figuratively, right? Y'all, in biblical times, they knew Jesus was speaking in hyperbole. This, we kind of act like well, they weren't, maybe they weren't sophisticated enough. They didn't take literature. Are you kidding me? They're way smarter than we are. Hyperbole existed. Jesus uses it. The, the prophets use it. So you see what I'm saying? So I get kind of angry because people kind of talk about literal. You take the Bible literally and we do. Well, what do you mean take it? Well, we mean we take it literally. That when Jesus speaks as a hyperbole, I don't sit there and go, I don't cut my arm off. Because you know what? I understand the literary structure of the Bible. I take it seriously literal, i.e. the words matter. I take it seriously literal, the, the literary context, the historical context, the grammar matters. That's what we mean when we say literal. Now, just as a, to, to just kind of drive it home, how do we know that the disciples, let's just take the disciples, forget the hundreds that were there. Let's take the, the disciples who, who follow Jesus and die for him. How do we know they didn't take it literally? That's not a trick question. Just think about it. How do we know they didn't take it literally? Because they didn't cut off their hands, people. And they didn't pull their eyes out. You know why? Because they didn't have adultery in their heart. Eh. Of course they had adultery in their heart. So, so what does Jesus mean? He means don't mess with sexual sin, whatever it costs you. You gotta get very serious here. That's what he means. He says, right eye, right hand. Mm, there's a clue, right eye, i.e. The warrior's eye is normally the right eye that he aims with. The right hand is the hand of power. You don't say, may your left hand of power... I don't mean it's all the left-handers under the bus, but it's the right hand of power. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying, whatever is most important to you, if you need to get rid of it, get rid of it, if it's gonna lead you in sexual sin. That's what Jesus is saying. 
Let me paraphrase his words in a way that gets to the intent, if I may. Um, I'm just gonna rephrase it that'll help us under, I hope understand it and apply it. What is he saying? He says this, sexual sin is so devastating to your heart. Spare nothing to eliminate any and all paths that might lead you toward this sin. Or I could paraphrase it in this way. He's saying, give up now what you most value physically in order to keep from giving up later what is most valuable of all, spiritual, your soul. Well, we asked Jesus a moment ago, I did on our behalf, Jesus, show us what it means to follow you. It, he's, he's shown us, I, I hope we now understand in these four verses, here's what he means by what he says. And here's what it means to you. I'm gonna give you two applications to ponder. Um, Y'all there, you know, when I got, when I'm teaching this, I'm going, oh my gosh, there's so many things I could say, you know, do this, do that, consider this, and that, you know, cut the cable off, you know. Get an accountability partner. Those are all good things and they may be necessary for you. It may be you give up something valuable, truly, you give up something valuable. You, you just don't get to do that in this life because you care about the life to come and you're living for the kingdom to come. So there's so many, but I'm gonna give you two that I, I, I think are, quite frankly, I think are doable and required of all of us, but they're just first steps. It's like, it'll get, it's the step that will lead you down other things that you may do. So I'll look, put the slide up and, and I'll describe them to you. First one is this, would you tell someone? Lord, what do you mean tell someone? I mean, tell someone where you are, what you're doing or what you've done or what's below the waterline. And that puts the fear of God in everyone in the room. And I get it. Are you kidding me? You want me to tell someone what I'm struggling with? Let me say this. To the degree that you're, you're, you hear a voice going, man, don't, you don't say it. Don't tell your spouse or don't tell your best friend or don't tell your pastor or don't tell your fellowship. Don't tell it. That, I, I promise you, that is the voice of the devil. That's the voice of hell. That's, that's the voice that has you captive. Don't tell. No, no, the voice of Jesus is, is saying this. Make yourself known, because I know. That's the voice of Christ. Tell someone. Honestly, the enemy of our souls knows this, you all. If he can keep you keeping your secret, he has you and is slowly destroying you. I didn't say tell everyone. I said tell someone. 
And, I, and I'd say this, tell someone you know, truly you trust who's mature in the faith, tell me, I, I, I can hold your confidence. Let it be known. That's the first step, quite frankly, of your freedom. Not the only step, right? Uh, y'all, and the, you, know why, you know why this is so hard? Because sexual purity is hard, period. Especially in our culture and day. It may cost you everything. And I'm, I'm, honestly, I'm thinking about people right now because there are people watching me online. There are people that have been in this room last service. There are people in this room that are struggling in all, all kinds of ways, whether it's pornography, whether it's emotional adultery, whether it's you're in adultery right now, whether you've, you've committed adultery, physically committed adultery in the past, or whether it's in your heart, you know, we just all, we, we're, there's, that's all of us. Look, to, 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 to make that known may cost you everything. I'm not gonna lie to you. But there's something on the other side that is more in this life and the life to come than you could ever lose. Now, that was kind of long, but I'm, what I'm trying to say is there, you know, you're standing over here holding this going, I can't give this, I can't, I'll lose it all. Well, you may but there's something on this side that's so much more, but you can't see it right now, but you need to trust it that you could never lose. This is so serious. Tell someone. Secondly, very simply, here's what I'm saying. Trust Jesus. Well, there's two things we can do. Trust, well, what do you mean trust you? Well, you know, if you've not placed your faith in Christ, then place your faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that he may give you a new heart. Y'all, the problems are heart. And you, you can't change it with willpower. You need to be spiritually, get a new heart. That's what happens in salvation. Well, also for those of us who know Christ, I'm saying trust Jesus in this way. Bring to Jesus your brokenness, your need, your desire. Trusting he alone can fully satisfy your heart. See, that's where... You know, as a Christian, that's where I, my, bat, my battle is to get more satisfied in Jesus. To get more satisfied in Jesus. To get more satisfied in Jesus. Because according to the Bible, Jesus is the only thing, person, reality that can satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. Look, sex is a longing of the heart, but it's puny compared to Jesus and what he wants to satisfy. And so the Christian life is honestly all about, can I say this? Trusting Jesus more. Jesus, see, because we will, to any sin, but we're talking sexual sin here. We will never say, you know, no to sexual sin and, and overcome that by just no, no, and, and by our willpower. We, we, we've got to come to that place where, it's not, oh, I want to so bad, but I'm gonna say no, I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna. No, we gotta get to that place where in Christ, our desires are actually changed. And we grow to that place where it's not, I, wa I wanna do that, to I don't even want that because my desires change and I'm so, 
So it's not like I don't want, I want to, but I won't. No, it's I don't want to because Jesus is all. I'm not just talking spiritual mumbo jumbo here. This is the gospel. I, I'm on that journey. I'm not all there, but I'm on that journey with you to be satisfied in Christ. Y'all, sex is not gonna satisfy you fully. If you're, if you're single, young adult, you know, you, I'm just telling you, you think you're gonna get married and have all the sex you want and it's gonna be awesome. I don't even have to say it. I'll let every married couple in the room say, eh, you know. No, it's awesome, it's wonderful, but sex is not gonna satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. And I, I, I really mean this because, you know, I didn't get married till I was 30. So honestly, if I was sitting out there listening to the, the preacher, teacher say that, and I was 25, I'd say, you're married, you, get, you, you already have it all. You know, I would dismiss me in a moment. I hope you won't dismiss me because this is what the scripture teaches. Money won't do it. See, see, we're gonna be talking about money later because we think if I had a little more, that ain't even gonna, nothing will do it. But the person and work of Jesus Christ. I'm gonna invite you to take your elements for the Lord's table. Hold them, just hold them. You don't need to open it up yet, just hold them. We're gonna take them together. I'm gonna invite you to stand. I love it that we come to the table every week because you know, we do a hard message like this and, it, and, and, and I, I'm so glad that, you know, I'm, I'm not looking at you all going, stop it, stop it, you know, you stop that, you know? No, I, I wanna look at you and go, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He, he's our hope. And we come to this table. Can you believe this? We have this tangible expression of all Jesus is. He's, 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 he's not just, you know, he doesn't just give us his words. He is the word, isn't he? He's the living word. He's, we're gonna sing this. He's the better word. He is. In our brokenness, he's healing every wound we'll sing. In our fallenness, he's making all things new. His blood is the measure of our worth. His blood is shouting out with life. It's shouting down the lies that say we need this. No, no, no. It's shouting down those lies and saying, my blood is what you need. His blood is our great hope and defense. We're gonna sing as an expression of our trust in Christ. And in the context of that, we will, Lindsay will lead us in a moment, to take the bread and the cup symbols of the person and work of our great Savior.